Hey everyone, welcome back to Girls on the Grid. I'm Priya and I'm here with my co-host Tanea. It is a new week, it is a new episode, it's a new chat with another pretty cool female based in motorsport. Priya, it's been a pretty busy week for both of us, not gonna lie, but because we have such a great chat lined up, do you think we just get straight into that? I reckon we had a really good chat. Uh, It's probably our longest chat. With a special guest at the end. So this week, we welcome Renee Winterbottom to the Girls on the Grid podcast. And it is very exciting for us to welcome Renee Winterbottom to the Girls on the Grid podcast. Now, Renee, we are very excited to have you here. This is this is a cool episode for us, and you're episode number five, a kind of tiny little milestone for us. But, Renee, let's talk about you. So you've always been involved in motorsport. It's been kind of a life for you. You're always around the kart track with your family. Tell us what it was like to grow up at the kart track. Yes, I mean, most people would see me as Mark's wife and not know that... I actually did grow up at the go-kart track like many other people. My dad raced go-karts and my younger brother raced go-karts. So most weekends we'd be at a go-kart track somewhere in Australia and um, making all these wonderful friendships that I'm so grateful to have. Um, It was a really nice way to grow up. It was like an extended family. I didn't just have one dad and one brother. I had this whole karting family that when I see now, I'm just like connected with straight away. It was like we just pick up where we left off. Um, Made so many amazing friendships growing up that way. So I was either at the go-kart track or water skiing. That's kind of how my family spent their weekends. And um, I loved it. I really enjoyed the family side of things It brought my dad and myself extremely close because he loved my help so I felt like I was needed and um, really took that role on created an excel spreadsheet and started recording my brother's data and became like his data engineer I guess so I'd write down lap times and the setup for each session and at the end of a Saturday after all the practice sessions we'd work out what his fastest setup was and put that in for the next day. Tire pressures, all, all that all that little stuff. And all the other dads would say, oh, I wish I had Renee on my under my tent and, you know, offer me jobs and it was a really, really cute and fun way to grow up and that's obviously how I met Mark. So um, we started dating when I was sixteen. So it's been um, you know, throughout his entire motorsport career he was racing go-karts when we met we were friends and I was doing year 11 at that time so um, we can go into that in lots of detail but I loved growing up at the go-kart track and wouldn't have married Mark if I didn't grow up that way so it's been wonderful. So both you and I our childhoods were quite similar being dragged along to the go-kart track and it was something that was obviously just around, but did you ever have any desire to jump in the go-kart yourself and give it a crack? I did. I did. I felt like I was never sure if I would be good enough. So I was very hesitant to commit to my dad buying a go-kart for me. And then one day I said, yep, I want to race go-karts. So he bought a go-kart for me. And we went out to what was Brooklyn go-kart track back then. It does not exist now. It's probably a housing estate. And I went around for a few laps and hopped out of the go-kart and said, hmm, I don't really like that vibration through my body and head. It's really noisy and I feel a little bit sick. So I don't want to race go-karts. <laughs> Surprisingly, he wasn't upset with me. <laughs> Maybe I should have tried someone else's go-kart before he committed to buying one, but that's not my problem. And, um, yeah, that was it. So I was confirmed sidelined as Anthony's data mechanic, and I was more than happy with that. That is awesome. There was no, like, yeah, just he buys the car and gets you all set up, and you're like, oh, thank you. (laughs) It wasn't really just not me, no. 
I mean, I don't know if you've been in a go-kart, but the vibration through your body is not that pleasant. And even I've only ever been on one or two hot laps with Mark and I was petrified of getting car sick. I'm like, I need an open visor give me one of those open face helmets and there's really attractive ones that push your cheeks forward like this and you look really great in them and he was doing donuts it was wet at Ipswich I'm like what are you doing anyway I wasn't sick but um I'm a little hesitant to get in the car with him so for those who might not know your husband Mark Winterbottom is a supercars champion and a Bathurst winner let's let's hear the lovey-dovey story how did you guys get together so I was 16 and uh, traveling around the country with my brother who was racing go-karts and he was much younger than Mark so they never raced against each other but they both raced Tony Kart so we met through Jim Morden and um, Anthony Bartolo who still works in go-karting now building fast engines but um, initially I just thought this guy is so funny like he just made me laugh and we became friends and just saw each other every few months. It wasn't very often, but Mark stayed in Melbourne for a week between a go-kart race and a Formula Ford test day and asked me out for dinner. And I thought, okay, yeah, sure. So he drove down to um, my place and picked me up and we went to Ligon Street and I had gnocchi for dinner and he had pizza and he looked at my gnocchi and said, what is that? I grew up in an Italian household and he'd never had pasta before. So that quickly changed, but um, that was the start. And then the next date would have been at the next race meeting in Newcastle, I think it was. But when Mark came to pick me up that time, I had like all of the Victorian dads there looking at him, giving him a bit of a hard time taking me out. So it was very competitive, Victoria versus New South Wales with and Queensland with um, go-karting. So he was kind of on the outer for all of those dads. But, you know, his charm won, won through. And um, and I, I think we were double dating with, with another couple back then. But um, that, was, that was it. He said to me, do you did you feel something? Do you like me? And I was like, yeah, I do. And, um, and we were boyfriend and girlfriend from then. I was 16. So my whole life, basically. So you stayed in Victoria to complete high school and uni, and then you moved to Queensland while Mark was driving for Larkham Motorsport. So what path did you take from there? Did you take your uni degree further and start working or did you go in a different direction? I did. So I literally finished finished uni, studied a Bachelor of Business in Entrepreneurship and then moved to Queensland the day after my 21st birthday. We had a big party at the top of the Rialto. It was amazing. And the next day I was in tears, hopping on an aeroplane flight, looking out the window thinking, oh, my goodness, here we go. Uh, Moved into a one-bedroom unit with Mark in Queensland and we were only there for nine months. So I did work full-time in marketing and had a nice job up there. I really enjoyed living there. But Mark got the job with uh, what was Ford Performance Racing back then, nine months later. So... It was a very quick trip to Queensland for me and um, then we were back in Melbourne and we've lived here ever since. So like a typical motorsport couple, you guys got engaged at a racetrack. How romantic. We did. I'll never forget that because I was working, living in Queensland at the time and Mark said, don't get on a late flight. You need to be off the plane early because, you know, I've got to race the next day. So only pack carry-on luggage and had all these like things for me and I thought this is a bit odd but sure so I got off the plane I called him I'm like I'm walking out the gate and I waited for like 10 or 15 minutes and I thought you're kidding me could have checked a bag in but that was fine got in the car and then he said to me oh we need to get petrol so we got off and and started driving in a direction I'd never been before and I thought I thought you wanted to get back to the hotel really early and have an early night what's going on 
well, that was a cover, but of course I was too clever and blew that. So we drove past the service station, which is when I got really confused and thought, that, that was a service station just there. And uh, he pulled up and said, let's go for a walk along this beach. Okay. And then I'm like, is this, could this be a proposal? Of course, I didn't say that, but I was thinking it. I hopped out of the car, walked over to the beach. He was fresh from a go-kart track, smelt like grease, and, um, and proposed to me. So that was lovely. That was an Oran Park race weekend, and um, and it was kind of nice because then it was exciting for the weekend. Everyone congratulating us, and yeah, I guess it was meant to be. Motorsport was so was the reason we met. So why not propose to me there? It wasn't what he had planned. He said he said he had a big plan of something else, but he was worried that I'd find the ring. So he thought better propose to her now. <laughs> And you would have definitely found the ring. Probably. It was probably on the nose with that. But it's been 15 years, like three kids later. What's a day-to-day look like for you based in Melbourne? What's You wake up and, and what do you get up to? Well, these days are a little bit more quieter on the business front, but with three children, our day very much revolves around them. So Elliot's two and a half, Oliver is nearly 11 and Austin is nine. So off to school, then organizing Elliot, you know, ready, steady, go kids, play group, or even just going to the park. Mark has a little bit more flexibility these days than he used to. So we spend a lot of time together, walking around, um, taking Elliot on bike rides, or very much family lifestyle. And he's in the workshop a few days a week. And uh, not not traveling very much, so we're home a lot, which is nice. But um, it wasn't always like that. Mark had a very intense 10 years, I'd say, where our days looked very different. So I guess we're making the most of, of that now and catching up on things that we didn't get to do with Oliver and Austin so much because he was not around. He was very busy traveling, fulfilling all of his commitments in the peak of his career. After a couple of years, when Mark's racing career took off, you started to help him with his business and managing his professional career. So how has that changed over the years? Yeah, so I worked in marketing when we moved back to Melbourne full time and also helped Mark with his business. I'm not sure if your listeners know, but racing car drivers contract to teams. They're not employees. So what that means is that a driver is a product and a service and around that is a complete business. So someone needs to run that business and Mark's career quickly took off once he joined Ford Performance Racing and we had a manager at first which was uh, an integral part in developing Mark's relationship with the media and also teaching him how to attract sponsors and and what they need and how to service them. But then what we found was I was still in the middle of everything running the business and that I needed to do it full-time after a few years. So I stopped working in marketing and started managing the business. And I've been doing that for 12 years now. So we make a great team and I... I enjoy it. I grew up around motorsport, so I naturally knew what was required. I had my Bachelor of Business and put that to good use and looked after everything from the administration to the marketing, the finances and the day-to-day management of Mark's calendar, which for 10 years was intense. He travelled for 13 to 15 race weekends a year, which was one week away at it at a time and then had appearances in between so and they could be anywhere and for any length of time so there was a lot of detail that needed to be managed on a day-to-day basis and then servicing of sponsors and liaising with the team there's a lot of aspects that um, happen behind the scenes that people wouldn't really know about 
that are really important and um, me doing it meant that Mark was able to just concentrate on what he had to do because he knew I had his back and everything was going to be attended to. I'm, I'm not the sort of person to leave a, an email in an inbox for a long time. Everything was dealt with same day and, um, and I've enjoyed it. We've done some really cool things over the years and it's been a, an honour to be part of his amazing career. And like being super transparent and honest, like your involvement is probably what helped Mark with his success. Like you don't just get, like sponsors don't just pay you cash. Like there's so many things that go on behind the scenes to fulfil those obligations. And it sounds pretty full on, like just even just managing Mark, but then also like raising two kids and then a third kid. Like you must be some kind of superwoman to be able to balance all those things. It was really intense. I, um, I'm very organised, but um, I did have to have the kids in childcare to be able to f- fulfil my commitments in the business because um, it was a full-time job. People didn't realise, but unfortunately the kids look at me and say, well, what do you do, Mum? Like, Dad races cars, but what do you do for work? Well, I run the business. I look after the business. You mean you do work on the computer? Like, sure, (laughs) that's what I do. But, um, you know, it got to a point where it was even a little bit too much for me and then I had to look at outsourcing the social media. Social media became an enormous part of um, the marketing side of the business and um, we wanted to do it really well and, and commit to that and... So I had to outsource that eventually, but um, yeah, thank you. I think I made his life easier and I think that um, sponsors loved working with me over the years. I, um, I did find it challenging being having two hats in, in the industry. It, um, it was probably tricky for people to know whether I was wearing my wife hat or the business hat. Um, so that was an interesting experience, but I knew what I was doing and, um, and just kind of backed myself and, and so did Mark. He, um, didn't want to work with anyone else but me on the business and it's been, it's been a journey. It's interesting you say that the kids questioned what you do, because that's something I used to ask my mum as well growing up. And I was like, what do you do? Because, you know, dad does all this, like what's going on here? But she was also working like crazy behind the scenes in the race team. And that's just the type of thing you don't see. But I can only imagine how crazy it would be having three kids while at the racetrack. Oliver, especially, he loves being trackside and he sometimes gives Mark's engineers some pointers on what calls they should make. Um, I think there was a couple, there was a couple times back in the day where I would I would babysit Oliver for a little bit while you were chasing Mark around. Um, Do you prefer being at the track or watching from home? What does sort of a day-to-day look like helping out Mark but also running around and chasing the kids? Nothing compares to being at the racetrack. We would be there every weekend when we could. So I would get on a flight and drag two kids along. Elliot's a COVID baby so there hasn't really been a lot of opportunity to take our third child along but the other two they were at most races like I I just took them and they loved it and they grew up at the racetrack which meant that Oliver understood a lot from a very young age he'd look at the timing screen before he could write he understood what a lap time was and a sector was and he'd come in and um, ask questions in the garage possibly too many questions, but I mean, it was an experience for him, not only the mathematics of the sport, but also the interaction with people. It meant that Oliver and Austin are both very social because I was very conscious of them um, growing up around adults and being able to be respectful and have conversations. So we would work on that on on the way on an aeroplane, like practice conversations (laughs) because... I never wanted them to shy away from speaking to people that they knew and um, and that's meant that they're confident young men now I think it's really helped them. I must say though like 
your kids are the politest kids I've ever met in my life. Seriously, like go up to Austin or Oliver or something like that, just in it like at a racetrack or even I was at your house the other day and you'll be like, hey, hey Oz, hey Ollie. They're like, hello Tanea, how are you? And they're like nine and 11. I'm like, sorry, what? <laughs> like, it's just, a, it's honestly a credit to how you've raised them because they're genuinely just delightful, well-mannered young children. Thank you. That means a lot. We, uh, we work very hard on it. It's not something that just comes naturally to, to most people. So, But it's so important. I mean, now that's your impression of my children and that's lasting because first impressions count. Um, but I want them to be able to speak to people. It's really important. I mean, Mark and I have learned how important relationships are throughout the last 10 years and um, something that you can start to develop in children doesn't have to be a, a thing that we do when we're adults we need to be able to talk to people and build relationships from a young age but yeah they're nice little young men we're always working on them but so far so good Elliot on the other hand we've got a lot of work to do on him <laughs> I'm not gonna lie he's a work in progress but he's also only two so he's, he's okay he's got some time Mark is now the current driver with the most supercar starts he started the most races out of the entire field, which is an awesome stat. But it also shows how experienced he is and the fact that he's one of the best drivers in the field with experience and the things that he knows. What, where, where's he at? What, what do you think? Like, he's been doing it for a long time, but he's still, he can easily be a top five, hopefully a podium guy. Is, is there another win? Is there a major, major thing? What's, what's coming? He obviously is comfortable at Irwin. It just probably needed uninterrupted season for him to really be able to kind of show what he's got. Yeah, I think um, with smaller teams, Mark's thinking that um, next year is going to equalise the field out. I mean, you'll have to speak to him because I, I don't want to speak on behalf of him. But from my perspective, um, I remember in the early days he'd make mistakes and come in and be like, oh, I made a mistake there or a mistake there. But the gaps between cars were far greater, whereas now you can't even click your hands at the the difference between first and tenth sometimes. So it's very, very intense. But um, he, he still loves racing and he wants to race and he wants to do well for the team that he's in. He wants to get podiums and I don't think he will be happy and satisfied until he does that. The sponsors are incredible, they love him and he really wants to deliver some great results for them. So um, he's not going anywhere and I think he would be devastated if he missed out on racing the Gen 3 car. So as far as he's concerned, he's uh, got plenty of years left. I, I remember a few years ago he said to me, like, it was probably the year he won the championship and beyond that. He said, I'm a better driver now than I was in the early days. So he doesn't believe that age is a factor. He believes that every year you get better and better. Um, so he's not going anywhere and I think this year will be great. And I think, um, yeah, we have to, every, every season we start off positive. It's like a clean slate and let's go for it again. The, the goal is always to win races and um, stay tuned. Do you think any of your boys may take after their dad and give racing a go? Because they both love basketball and, and football. So is is that something that you would rather steer them away from? It's such an interesting question. Uh, they have not had the opportunity yet to race a go-kart or even drive one other than an ace karts go-kart. So Mark started racing go-karts when he was 10. So we now have a nine and nearly 11 year old. So it's really, it's time for him to let them have a go. But he's waiting for them to be um, die hard into it. But they're not going to be until they have that first opportunity. So We'll have to work on some of our old go-karting friends and, and get them out. Um, I'm sure they would both want to do it, but um, Mark wants to be involved. He doesn't want to send the kids off 
to race go-karts without him there. So perhaps that's why he's delaying the start as well because he doesn't want to miss out. But Oliver, he wants to be an AFL football player and Austin keeps asking me how tall he's going to be because he wants to play basketball. Mum, am I going to be 6'1", 6'2", or 6'3"? And I don't know if you know, but you can double their height at two and a half and that will tell you how tall they're going to be. So, which is crazy. You think of these mini little people, double that. Yeah, if you do the calculations, it's... Six one for Oliver and six foot for Austin, but um, we'll see. We'll see if that if that eventuates. They're both really really sporty kids, which Mark was as well. If if he didn't race cars, he probably would have been a professional soccer player. Like they've got his ability in sport, um, but they're also really smart. So um, lucky them that the world is their oyster. I do not know if they will race cars. But let's um, let's say I'm going to commit to getting them in a go-kart this year and I'll come back to you and let you know what they thought of it and uh, who was faster. <laughs> That's awesome. So post-career, what do you see that Mark does whenever that is, whether it's 2024, 2025, whatever the year is, when he decides that he's done everything he needs to do, What's next? What's next for both of you? Like, I know that you have a huge interest in nutrition and dietitian and healthy living. Tell us about that. Well, Mark honestly hasn't started thinking about what's next. We, over the years, have um, been clever with our situation and invested in property. So we've got the motorsport business and then we've also got some properties that um, are really going to help when he retires and property is his his hobby. He absolutely loves it. So who knows, you might see Mark Winterbottom, the real estate agent. I don't know. But um, being a parent of three children is also a full-time job. So if we're not walking the kids to school, we're dropping them off to training after school and um, – He's really enjoying family time, to be honest, and racing with Charlie has given us that flexibility to have the right balance between a career in motorsport but also being there for your family. He's um, he's a big family man himself, surrounded by some amazing, incredible women as well. So I've enjoyed working with Charlie and um, he's very respectful and uh, and has an amazing, amazing team that are, are really dedicated. And um, he um, just has this environment that um, is lovely, really lovely to work in. Such a great communicator. Just taught Mark and I a lot. Communication is key in, in anything we do in life. And... Um, he will always pick up his phone, speaks to Mark on nearly a daily basis. Will um, And that flows through the entire team. So when I have the pleasure of working with Sarah, for example, she, um, her and I just have this great communication. She needs something from me, I'll be replying the same day and vice versa, which means we just keep everything ticking and... Yeah, it's um, it's so good that um, I can't see him doing anything else for a while. I don't think um, he's never been one to plan post-motorsport, to be honest. People ask this question a lot and he just has not been one to plan it because he's living in the moment and we've been smart enough over the years that we can just go year by year for now and um, and enjoy it. But for me... On that question, yes, you are right. I love nutrition. took me quite a while to work that out, so I studied a Bachelor of Business, but probably should have studied nutrition, just didn't realise it at the time. But, hey, I'll still use both um, both qualifications. So I, ha- I am starting uh, to study nutrition this year, and um, I will then be a nutrition and health coach, hopefully by the end of the year. So... There's so much to it and I can do all the research and then work closely with clients and 
make it simple for them to understand what their bodies need on a daily basis. I think uh, my boys, having three boys that I couldn't fill up as little babies was was a big eye-opener for me and I would be buying all this packaged food thinking, why is this not filling them up? They're still hungry. What what am I doing wrong? And I started researching, um, had some consultations with people and realised that, wow, I need to do a whole lot of more cooking and um, lucky I love it. So my kids are lucky enough to have um, beautiful home-cooked meals every day and homemade snacks and um, and I want to give that to that knowledge and that passion to as many people as I can so I decided to begin studying this year it's obviously been tricky having Elliot but um, my time's freeing up a little bit and I'm gonna juggle another thing and um, I'm really excited to do that and over the years nutrition is also something I've enjoyed doing for Mark at the racetrack and so um, he was always on the run, like from seven till seven, there was pretty much only a 10 minute window he ever had to eat. So you'd be like looking at his schedule thinking, okay, I need to have a protein juice ready for him now. And here's his lunch and here's a snack, not too close to the race, but not too far away from it. So yeah, I've, um, I've enjoyed sort of developing an interest in nutrition, whether it was through my children, through Mark or my own personal um, body requirements. Now, just a selfish tangent from me. Uh, for Mark's 40th birthday, you bought him a pizza oven, and that's been nearly a year and a half, and I have still not been invited over for homemade pizza. What's going on? Do you know, we have honestly been trying to perfect making the dough and not getting the pizzas to stick to the tray. And the other night, Tanea came over and we were making pizzas that night and I didn't invite her to stay because we weren't that confident that they were going to be great. And guess what? They were great. I I just was nearly going to text you and say, come on, come on, come back. You should have called me. I'm only like 15 minutes away. I would have rode my bike over and be like, give me some pizza. So Mark brought the pizza in and said, you know what, Renee, we are ready to invite people over for pizza. <laughs> So uh, won't be long to now and you'll get your inbox. This is a win for me. This is a win for me. A home-cooked fresh pizza. Don't worry. I'll If you don't invite me over, I'm just going to come over one random night and just knock on your door and be like, you having pizza? What are your favourite toppings for a pizza? I am about as white girl plain as they come, but I'm learning that I come over to your house for lunch a while back and you gave me some Greek food that I've never had before. So my motto now is if Renee serves it up, you just shut up and eat it because it's probably going to be good. But if you get in your head, then you'll be like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this. But if you serve it up, I'll just eat it and we'll just deal with the consequences later. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll start with the margarita with fresh basil from my garden. It sounds nice and tame for me. So you've been in the sport for a while now and you've seen it all change a lot over the years. Would you say there's more opportunities for women now than there was earlier on? I would definitely say there is. There are so many new roles within the team and within supercars that demand women in motorsport, whether it's female or male, the, the roles are there. So um, it's not just a handful of mechanics and, and one media manager. There's a, there's a whole host of opportunities that um, people like you have, have taken Um so I would say it's grown a lot and um, it's a pleasure to have witnessed that and see so many more females up and down pit lane, new faces all the time. Supercars have a lot of women and um, and it's nice to meet them and, and talk to them, whether it's in the catering tent or, um, or up in a corporate suite. It's definitely changed and I wouldn't shy away if you are female. Come and, come and talk to us. The opportunities are endless you just need to work out what it is that that drives you I think there are so many people that are passionate about motorsport I mean we we in a way we're all fans of the sport and um, we're just lucky enough to work in it but in any sport I think passion is the number one thing that you need to have so if you are passionate about motorsport there are endless opportunities 
You just need to use that passion and work out what your skill is and what role you want to have in the sport and and then slowly chip away at getting in. Show your face at events, say hello to people, hand resumes over in person, stalk people on social media, whatever you've got to do to, um, to make a presence. And then once you do get that opportunity, you need to... Um, over deliver. I think um, Mark and I are a big fan of over delivering. So back yourself and um, do more than the person next to you. So both Priya and I have known you for quite a long time. Priya more so than me, but a lot of people probably don't know that you actually, like this is a special chat for us because you and Mark really kind of helped me get my start in the industry. I was a volunteer for a couple of years and like anyone who knows me who knew me back then, like I was a huge Frosty fan, huge Mark Winterbottom fan. And when you follow the sport, you always find your driver or team who you kind of gravitate to and then you follow them. So I remember like being four, five, six, watching and be always just being like always the, the five or the six car or whatever. Like I just always kind of just gravitated towards that. And then when I was... 9, 10, 11, like I started to work out who the driver was and, and just really, and then when he was in car 5, five's my favourite number, I was like, oh, this guy. So then I always just followed Mark and his career from about 13 onwards and got into the sport at, I was like 16, 17, and I remember like super clearly sitting in, like I would even remember the exact like position I was in because it's just such a significant moment for me. But I was in a year 12 maths class in 2016 and a message come up on my Facebook from Renee Winterbottom. And as a big fan of the sport, I was like, holy crap, like this is a big moment for me. I did not get any maths work done. But you just reached out to me and like, I was just a fan. But you'd obviously seen some things that I'd done and obviously knew that I was passionate about the sport and kind of building a career. But you just asked if I wanted to help create a sponsorship proposal for Mark. And I was like, heck yes, I do. But really, that was kind of the first moment that I was like, wow, I can actually, like someone actually has noticed me. Someone in the industry has noticed me and gave me kind of the time of day or the opportunity. And from there, I was like, really, anything is possible. So like, I know I've told you in person, but just like, an insane thank you for for believing in me at 18 to kind of have a go and and yeah like yeah it's it's actually it's it's emotional for me but yeah you guys really gave me my start so yeah thank you well thank you and it's been special the um the things we've done together i am I remember seeing you at the track and I remember seeing all of your comments on Mark's social media. So I knew, okay, this girl is a big fan. And then I had a look at your your pages and um, saw that you had skills that I didn't have. So when I did a Bachelor of Business, we didn't, you know, social media really wasn't a thing. So we didn't have a lot of video and editing skills Um given to us as as an option and I needed those skills in our business and I wanted someone that understood the industry I didn't want to have to explain the entire industry to someone outside of the industry and I I just kept looking at your work and what you did and I thought you would be perfect not only did you understand motorsport you were a massive fan of Mark and, and I was easy to find I was easy to find because I was in every comment section yeah and I thought to myself she's a fan so she knows what people are going to want to see the general public so that was part of my thinking and I knew you had skills that would help me uh help Mark so Initially, we did start with some beautiful sponsorship proposals and, you know, most of them were very successful. So 
you gave me a lot more work to do by doing such a great job on those sponsorship proposals. But, you know, they had hyperlinks and video content and they were, they were next level. It was hard for sponsors to say no because we did a really good job. And over the years, we've done some amazing things. People may or may not know that Mark and I and Tanea, once she joined us, would personally respond to every message on social media through the peak of Mark's career. So we individually replied to every inbox message because we wanted our fans to know how much we appreciated them and that we were genuine, genuine people um, with, with a husband with a really cool job. So that engagement was really important to us and it became a really powerful tool for our sponsors and the race teams that we were with at the time to communicate to fans with different content. And it got too much work for me. So I needed someone's help and I thought you were the perfect person. And I remember having a, a meeting with you at Ipswich. That weekend I was a volunteer blowing my whistle on pit lane and I found a window found a window when there was a support category on that I didn't need to be out there for. And I texted Renee and I was like, oh, I can come meet you now, like freaking out on the inside. And we went and chatted and just... And like people, people would not understand the work that goes into maintaining and growing a professional athlete's career. Like we had, uh, not a database, but we had a reach of over 200,000 people that we were communicating with daily. And there was giveaways and meetups and people with really special stories like cancer or like losses or all these really kind of special things that like Mark was a cross but like sometimes I'd be like hey Mark x person is going to come meet you this is his story or this is her story and like it was just we kind of worked in like this really cool kind of communication triangle where if Mark was in a debrief I could be like hey Mark this person is outside the A trailer this is what you need to know about him so when Mark could greet the fan without having to had been across the whole conversation he'd be able to just front up and like be really engaged in this person's story and that's just one of the little elements like an athlete isn't just an athlete it's a pro he's a product of what he does and that's where the big dollars of the sponsorship and the reports and needing like a manager to kind of make the whole the whole show happen a lot of people probably wouldn't realise that it's that big of a thing. Mm, absolutely. And when you worked with us, um, it was the peak of Mark's career. So he was very, very popular and we wanted to service that. I didn't want people – I wanted people to feel involved. I, I wanted them to feel connected to, to him and every result and every post and know that we really appreciated them supporting him. Um, so we did. We went above and beyond and, and created an enormous fan base on Facebook and then a few years later Instagram came along. So it's definitely changed over the years but um, I'll, I'll never forget sitting at, um, at the house after Mark won Bathurst sitting next to me he's talking I'm typing we're doing posts finding great photos people are drinking champagne out of the trophy just sitting around the room and um he was getting tens of thousands of followers at a time and it was like whoa this is insane so thank you so much for your help over the years I um I've been hard on you I was very very specific on what I needed from you and um I pushed you but I think that that's helped your career and um and that's just Mark and I we're we've got a very high level of expectation of the people we work with whether it's the race team whether it's people in our own business our accountant this is what we expect and um, successful sports people are like that. They're, they've got 
uh, above and beyond expectation of the average person. So, um, Tanea, you stepped up and we did some amazing things. So I'll remember specifically you helping me with the idea of creating a uh, report, a yearly report for our sponsors. And week in, week out, we were collecting front covers of newspapers with Mark on it, video content, calculating the amount of minutes he had coverage for every qualifying practice, race. I remember, I actually remember, we never had access to the data. So I would sit, when I was at uni, I would sit and like if he come on screen, I'd start the stopwatch on my phone time how long he was on screen or how long his helmet was on screen and then put it into this spreadsheet and I did that for every round like I just would like I would sit and watch three or four days of coverage and every single time I'd start the recording and then I'd stop it and I'd put my little number in my spreadsheet just so we could quantify a dollar value to give to the sponsors and at the end of the year we had this incredible report with clickable links through to the video footage and all sorts of um, of information that made it really easy for the sponsors to go, okay, we can justify our spend. Look at what we're getting in return. It wasn't just, oh, you know, we've done well. Do you want to sponsor us again next year? We made it really easy for them to sign on for multi-year deals when they could see they had a top five driver in and out every weekend on newspaper covers and the social media reach was um, a very powerful thing. And that's something that you and I can sit here and say, well, we did that. Mark was the product. He got it in and we serviced it and did a wonderful job of that. So, Renee, last question from us. With what you've seen with your involvement over the years, what would be your advice for women uh, wanting to get into motorsport? My advice for women wanting to get into motorsport is ask questions. I always felt too nervous to approach people to ask questions and there are no silly questions. Now I realise that if a, I realise that but I didn't back then. So if a girl wants to join motorsport and thinks oh, I've got questions that Renee might answer, come up to me and ask a question. No question is silly I'd be more than happy to speak to anyone. I, I love talking to fans. And um, and my other piece of advice would be to over-deliver. It's hard in any industry to earn respect, but extra hard in motorsport. So we all are fans at, to some degree, but we need to take our roles seriously and over deliver and earn the respect that way so that would be my advice uh, don't be scared to approach people in the industry because more often than not they will um they will help you get the answers you need to um, work out what you need to study to then get a role but if you've got passion and you love the industry then come on in and the and you will find a way in but like you just you've gotta put yourself out there. It's not it's not an industry that will just open doors. You get a uni degree and the doors open. Like it's not like that. You need to know people. And honestly, if I had never reached out, if I'd never been a fan of Mark or never replied to every single Instagram DM that you or Mark ever put out saying how great it was or how awesome everything is, I'm sure you guys wouldn't have noticed me and never ever ended up on my page to see that I could do these things that you guys needed. So it's honestly just like you're never – people who are public figures, you're never going to annoy them by being there, by showing up and showing support. And if you love it that much, they'll notice. Absolutely. And don't shy away if you get a no initially from a particular angle that you try. Just keep trying. Just keep being present because um, – there are always new opportunities and there are a lot of teams out there and a lot of requirements in every team. So you might approach one team and try and get a no. You could keep trying if that's a specific team you want to work with. People move all the time. Every every year I see roles change, people change. And if you're really good at what you do, 
and you're passionate about the industry, then you should be working in it. But but know that with motorsport comes a huge dedication. It's not just a nine to five job. It is a lot more commitment than that. But um, that's why you need to be passionate about the industry and love it like we all do because then it doesn't feel like a job. It's It feels like an absolute pleasure to be involved in. And, um, you know, getting to a race and hearing the cars roar on the start line and feeling that excitement, it's um, hard to explain unless you've experienced it. It's a feeling like no other, hey? Well, I still get nervous. The kids see me jumping around like a crazy person and holding their hands like, Mum, just relax, he's fine, he'll be fine into turn one. (laughs) Never makes it any easier. But, Renee, this has been an awesome chat and we really thank you for your time on the Girls on the Grid podcast. We want to go a little bit left of field at the end of this episode. And we've been, me and Priya have been chatting about a way that we can integrate some men in motorsport because we've got the women in motorsport down pat. We love talking to them, but we just want to hear a little bit of a different perspective. So for our first segment, if you will, of men in motorsport, a little niche topic that that we want to introduce into the end of our episodes we would love to have a little chat to mark winterbottom the husband of renee winterbottom you're not the wife of mark he's the husband of you all right that's that's how it's gonna go in this in this little segment so we'd love to have a quick chat to mark i love that and uh, we're going to put him on the spot here so i will go and get him and um Make sure you ask him if he appreciates me. Do you want to give us some questions to fire at him? Um, no, I think you should ask him if he appreciates everything I've done behind the scenes over the years. But, and does he actually know what I do? Yeah. So do you actually know what Renee does for you? Are pyjamas appropriate? Of course. We'll only use the video on social media. It's fun. Depends what the PJs are. They're bluey pyjamas. Do you know bluey? Oh, that's the best. Be right back. Hello. Hello. You take off your bluey pajamas. <laughs> when you're a dad, you work up with kids love and um, whatever works. Mark Winterbottom, welcome to the very first segment of Men in Motorsport here on the Girls on the Grid podcast. You're our first guest. You're the first man to lay some boot for this podcast. What an honour. I've just done the cleaning and put a kid to bed and all that sort of stuff. So while my wife's done her podcasts and chatting I'm um it's good to be the bloke to come on and represent house husband house husband of the year all right so we've had a request from Renee the first question has to be do you actually know what Renee does for you um pretty well everything (laughs) so I can't function without her um that's what she tells me but no she she does a lot like people don't see the behind the scenes stuff you know and um and she's the brains and I create the work. I know I know how it rolls in this family. I have a very um, out there mind and I have a lot of good ideas, but I can't execute them. I'm kind of create the idea and then I dump it on Renee's um, table and office and I say, hey, can you, this is a cool idea, but can you make this work? And that's kind of what she does as well as the racing side. So um, yeah, we, we're kind of, we work really well together, but I do frustrate her because I have lots and lots of good ideas and very poor execution in some aspects. So um, uh, she does a lot, as well as run a household and three kids. It's uh, it's a full-on job. She asked us. She was like, "Just ask him if he knows. Just just <laughs> see if he gets it." Uh, did you ask her what I do? <laughs> she said you just drive something. Yeah, yeah, that's it. How's it feel? Men in motorsport, like it's not, it's pretty niche. Like we don't, there's not many men in motorsport, you know? <laughs> no, nah, there's a few boys, isn't there? But not many men. Um, oh, God. <laughs> coming from a bloke that's, this is about seven days of growth, um, if you can see it. And if you can't, it's pretty poor. It's pretty patchy. So I'm a real man. With... You've got to start, you've got to start in February to get to November, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's coming. Yeah, it's a real man I am. So um, anyway. Awesome. So, Mark, the Richards and Winterbottoms have had some great success together over the years. Going back, I think I was six or seven when you and Dad started racing quite closely together. 
And in that time, you also shared a Bathurst win in 2013, which was awesome. And you've gone on to have a great career. But Renee has said that you like to live in the moment and you're happy to kind of see where the wind takes you at this stage. What do the coming years kind of look like for you? Could we see you in something other than a supercar? Um, no, nah, like going back to the Richo thing, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of your dad and we get along really well. And there's some of the best years of my career is racing with your dad. He's a very, very good guy and um, one I respect massively. And, um, you know, saying that you're only six, I saw – actually had a chat with him the other day and I saw an Instagram photo of you and I said, hey, what happened to your little girl? She's all grown up, um, which makes us feel old because, uh, you know, we don't look or we don't feel like we look it, but um, but kids are a, a true, res- you know, reflective, um, on a reflection on what age you are and you, yeah, you, you make us feel old. So thanks, Priya. Um, but no, I, I love our sport. I think our, our sport is, is great and there's always new challenges. That's what I love about it. And you know, as a driver, you often want something different or more or whatever it is. But um, I think our sport is is so good that you never get sick of it. It's one of those things that I guess for me, when I left Tickford, um, I needed a new challenge and that was Charlie's team. And I don't feel like we've succeeded anywhere near what, what I set out to sign up for, you know. So um, until he's winning races or we're winning races and championships, um, I'm going to be gutted about um, about that. So that's kind of my motivation and hunger. And, um, you know, before this, I've been riding a bike for over an hour. I've been in the gym like I'm, I'm fitter than I ever have been. And then all the other stuff, kind of the racing side takes care of itself. But, um, but yeah, I need to win championships for Charlie. That's, that's my motivation. And with Gen 3 coming and the new car, that kind of lets experience um, come into play. But... I'm also lucky that on the side I get to do, you know, I got offered to race in Brazil again this year, um, obviously with COVID and coming back here and the difficulty of crossing our borders, um, I had to turn it down. But there's always good opportunities as well. But, um, yeah, I can't see. I'll, I'll race here until the day I don't race and then um, kind of won't be around on the grid. I'll, I'll race and then I stop and then I won't be at the track doing other categories. I'll be... Um, just, you know, Renee can do her business. She's given all her time to me over the years. Um, I'll become daddy daycare and um, be at home. And that's kind of what it is. I'm fulfilled with supercars and that's all I want to do. And for you, having seen a lot of development of motorsport over the years and also being the most experienced driver on the grid at the moment in supercars, is there anything about the sport that you would like to see change? Um, there, there is. There's, there's things that... Um, I don't necessarily agree with and I think you know I race the sport because I love it um but coming from I guess a team that had like over 80 people development at its disposal and all that sort of stuff where literally I could go in and say hey can we get a new upright next week and 82 people in the workshop would do it to now going to Charlie's where we're a customer and that side you're competing in the same sport um I think there's things, hopefully with Gen 3, that sort themselves out. Um, I'm worried that too many people get involved instead of what's best for the sport. Sometimes it's what's best for the person giving input. Um, So, you know, there's things. I hope that Gen 3 fixes up a lot of those issues that I think our sport have. But end of the day, you know, like like I said before, I could have raced in Brazil. Um, They run off about $800,000 a year budget um obviously their personnel is a fair bit cheaper than here but they, they get the they get the model right they have a car that has a crate engine cost twelve thousand dollars it's got the same horsepower that we run here um they run steel brakes but they run a really good tire they run um and they've got 36 cars on the grid and that's obviously working um we could probably run a similar program here for one and a half mil per car um and that would be really cool. At the moment, it's over $3 million a car. Like, it's just ridiculous numbers. So I, I think get them down, um, get the cost down, pay the people that you want in the team because the, the most expensive part of a race team is personnel. Um, but the, the thing that makes you win or lose races is personnel. So 
Um, I think reward pay well to personnel but get the equipment down and you don't lose people to other jobs. They get paid the right amount. They get um, satisfaction and that sort of side. So just get the cost of the cars down. They're too expensive and not worry about who makes what and what money they earn. Just make it cheaper, um, you know, pay the people what they're worth and and then the other stuff. There's, there's many other things that I'm sure could be fixed in, in the sport but um, often, yeah, it's, it's quite hard. But the cost of the cars, way, way too much money. You've got to get too much sponsorship and you're competing against other sports that, you know, AFL and all this sort of stuff, trying to sell sponsorship on a car for big money when you've got the cars cheaper you could ask less sponsorship more cars on the grid and people in the team get paid more that's that's my biggest probably beef um about the sport but it's tough it's a tough it's a tough one but that's what needs to be changed and that's why it's such a big thing like supercars is not a small show but that's probably what makes it so exciting really but mark thank you for your time on girls on the grid or men on the grid. Men on the grid just doesn't have the same ring to it. There's heaps of men on the grid. We don't need any more of them. We don't need a podcast about them. But seriously, we thank you for your little impromptu segment on girls on the grid. You got dragged in, finished the dishes, and Renee's like, "Oi, get over here!" Oh, thanks for having me. It's um, it's good. It's great what you girls are doing. There's a lot of very powerful women in motorsport, and to be fair, the the men who do it are often only powerful because the women they have. So um, we get to, yeah, stand up, get the trophies, all that sort of stuff. But I can tell you when you come home, they, um, Renee's been part of negotiations, contract negotiations. She was in there when I told Tickford I didn't want to be there for the final negotiations. She was in there with Charlie. She, um, you know, they're, they're not just sitting in the background. I'll, I'll tell you, they, um, they're the ones you bounce ideas off. They're the ones that wear you shitty attitudes when you come home after a p20 weekend whatever it is it's it's not pretty but you know it's it's great that you girls are showing i guess the the brains and the big part of the sport so um you know most people focus on the guys or whatever or what's happening but yeah like i said so many powerful women in the not behind the scenes in the in the front line as well so um, it's great what you're doing actually one more quick question how do we get more women in the sport we've asked all our female guests what are your thoughts how do we how do we equal it up does it start with carding do we do we start early how do we get more women around the sport yeah i'm not sure because um it's the sort of thing where if you win races it doesn't matter what gender you are like it's literally gone are the days i think where it's like oh it's a bloke sport because if i had a female come in and race or was my engineer or whatever it is you don't really you don't care what they are it's just if they're good at their job they do it but i don't know if there's not you know you look at carding there's say five thousand five thousand license holders and maybe what five of them are female so in percentage wise it's it's harder to get one standout that's going to come through when there's four thousand nine hundred ninety five guys you know what i mean so i don't think it's a and there's some very good female drivers. Like I, I remember racing Leanne back in the day and she was tough. Like she, with a helmet on, doesn't matter who she was, she was bloody tough. And then you look at Simona and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, it's. I don't really know, um, you know, maybe there's a point where boys all race at seven years old because the dad thinks it's a boy thing to do and, um, maybe the girls start a bit later and it's a bit harder because, you know, they, they dance, they do whatever. I'm, I'm not sure, but yeah, it's, it's good to see females coming through and they're, they're, it's not far away. You know, that Simona was very close to, she's very, very good, but there's more in the background that, um, that I'm sure will pop up too, that once they put a helmet on, it doesn't matter who they are. They, um, they're just another competitor. Yeah, definitely. Great to talk to Renee and Mark today. It's always good to get that extra insight into the back end of the sport. Partners are usually the biggest supporters for those in this game. And I know it's different for everyone, but even with my mum, she's worked extremely hard in order for my dad to have his career. Um, she basically ran our race team when we had it. Uh, even when dad was a full-time supercar driver, she was always managing his stuff in the background. 
As I said earlier, trust me, as someone who's got not only my dad and brother racing, I've also got my boyfriend, Ben, who races. And I'm starting to see a bit of a pattern. And that is that they need a lot of management behind the scenes because these guys just want to race. They don't want to be worrying about all their other responsibilities. Uh, but great to have a chat to Renee and see it from a bit of a different perspective. Now, for a quick tangent in the female in motorsport news, Simona De Silvestro is now bobsledding. You you mentioned this to me earlier and I'm so confused because, I mean, I know what bobsledding is, but I have no idea what she's doing. Can you just give me the rundown? Well, as far as I'm aware and my my information source is from Cool Runnings. So as far as I'm aware, they sit in this tiny little capsule and then just go down this ice tunnel, which sounds fun, but... Yeah, probably not for me. I'd rather be on an open track than inside a little ice tunnel going really, really fast. But good luck to her. And like, is there anything, is there anything that this chick cannot do? Seriously. That's what, yeah, I was going to say that like one minute racing and then bobsledding. That's just, it's really random, but I love it. Good for her. I suppose it's all the love of speed, really. Like it's all going fast and and adrenaline so it's probably not too dissimilar to to race cars you need a whole lot of balls i've just looked her up and we share a birthday that's cool oh my god it's a sign no (laughs) you are basically simona disinvestro yeah i'm pretty much as cool as her now same year (laughs) same year i think we're about 13 years out it's the same thing now i can i feel like i'm as cool as simona (laughs) all right that is it for the girls on the grid podcast for this week from us from Tanea and priya we are signing out for this week's episode of girls on the grid we'll chat to you next week thanks guys you've just listened to another network r production Uh.